Hey there, Agile Burritos, and welcome to another episode of Agile Bytes, the podcast put on by Integrity Inspired Solutions, where we build software in an agile manner day in and day out. I want to rock right now. My name is Phil, and I'm here to get down. Do you know what a value stream is? Because that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do you map your team's value stream? I work with a lot of organizations, and with most organizations I work with, we are getting Kanban going in some form or fashion, e even if they're doing Scrum. And this is a question that comes up a lot. How do we go about mapping a team's value stream? You like the idea of Kanban, you want to set up the board, what do you put on it? So we're going to talk about that today. First thing I want to address, though, is do you know what a value stream is? If you don't know what a value stream is and you decided to listen to this episode of the podcast anyway, I just want to say you're cool. But let me address you right now and let you know what it is. A value stream is the series of transformations that an item has to go through to be converted from its raw form into a deliverable, valuable form. So if you think of like a manufacturing plant, one way to look at a value stream might be an order that a customer places. And that order has to go through a series of stages and transformations until it comes out the other side as a deliverable product. Raw materials need to be assembled, for instance. Those raw materials need to be shaped and, and pressed by machines. Those different parts need to be assembled. And then the assembly needs to be tested. There needs to be some kind of quality control around the product. And then the product has to come off the line. And then it has to go to the distributor until eventually it gets to the customer. So that would be kind of a, a very loose, high-level example of a value stream. And even within that larger value stream, you can sort of zoom the camera in and look at perhaps more detailed value streams along the chain. Like what's the value stream that has to occur from the time a station gets raw materials, like say raw steel or something, and they turn that into a car door. What are the different stages of transformation that that steel has to go through to get to a car door? Now, a car door may not be the final delivery, but we can look at value streams at that level as well. So that's what it really is. It's a map of the stages that something, the transformation that something has to go through to get to a unit of deliverable value. So when we're talking about software development, a lot of times these units are user stories or features, or depending on how our software is set up, it might be even higher level than that. It might be, you know, large ideas or strategies or epics and breaking things down into user stories is actually a stage along the way of our value stream. But I want you to think about it kind of in those terms. If you have a software development team, various activities are probably happening upstream of your team. Requests are being transformed probably in some amount until they get to your team. And then your team is going to transform these things into some kind of deliverable unit of value. So I'm going to focus primarily on the individual team level. But I do want to point out that in software development operations, just like my analogy with the manufacturing plant, we can look at value streams at different levels of abstraction in the organization. So we might look at a value stream for the entire company. Maybe the very beginning of the stream is a customer submits an idea for our software. And the very end of the stream is that idea ends up in production. What are all the things that have to happen in between in order for that to happen? So that might, that might look like the value stream for an entire company or the IT department of a larger organization. But when we drill down to your team in specific, 
probably there has been some upstream activity already. It gets to you, you have to do something, and then whatever you produce goes out the door. And maybe there are other people downstream that handle it from there. If you are a software development team, for example, you probably are not the same people who follow up with users to see if they liked the feature or not, like with the surveys or, or, or customer research or something like that. You might be. I mean, it all depends on the size and the setup of the company, but you see what I'm getting at, right? We, we can have a value stream that maps the entire company operation for delivering value. But as we look at the different pieces and parts and groups and teams in the company, each one of these pieces can have their own value stream. And there can be higher level, higher level value streams that unite those teams as well. So value stream mapping can be a pretty interesting activity for an organization to undertake, but I'm going to talk mostly about your team in specific. And what I'm thinking when I say your team is primarily software development team. Somewhere along the line, you have coders writing code. That's what I'm thinking about. What does that value stream look like? So before we get into how I usually go about mapping that value stream, I want to address what about the whole value stream of to do, doing, and done. Okay, so some of you, especially maybe if you come from a Scrum background and have only come to Kanban boards by way of Scrum's common usage of it, to do, doing, and done might be the way you think these things have been done. In fact, it wasn't long ago that I was reading an article written by a fairly well-known uh, workflow development tool company. I'm not gonna name names, their name rhymes with Jira, but they wrote an article about Kanban. And in this article, they asserted that Kanban was three columns to do, doing, and done. And this is what all Kanban boards look like. Probably explains a thing or two about Jira, doesn't it? But but this is a this is a very popular way to start or to talk about the value streaming activity. For many teams, if you are new to mapping your work on a value stream, to do, doing, and done can be a good way to get rolling. It might start provoking some thought. You can always make it more granular later. So it's not a bad starting point. The advantage of to do, doing, and done is that it encompasses almost any kind of work you can possibly imagine. So when I use my own personal Kanban board for stuff I have to get done at home, yes, I am a huge nerd about this and I use a Kanban board at home, but I have activities like paying the electric bill and mowing the lawn and doing the dishes and emptying the dishwasher and things like that. And there's nothing really that most of that kind of work shares in common. You know, the, the process of mowing the lawn and getting to a mowed lawn is very different than the process of getting to clean dishes or getting to paid bills. So really the only workflow map that makes sense that all those things can fit into is to do, doing, and done, because those are states that describe any work that you have to do that, that hasn't been done yet. So it's not a bad place to start. If, you, if you're totally new to this and you want to get your team going, to do, doing, and done is a good way to start. Three columns, easy. It's great. It's also true sometimes that teams can have a tendency to over map their value stream. I have worked with teams before. They get used to the value stream and Kanban and the information this yields. And now all of a sudden they want to represent every little piece of the value stream that you can possibly imagine. Server environments show up in the value stream. You know, here it was in staging and now it's in pre-production and now it's in, you know, they get really, really granular with the stages and it is possible to overdo it. Sometimes 
having those stages mapped out doesn't really tell you anything useful. It doesn't give you any more information than you would have if you didn't have those columns mapped in there. So do be aware of that. That is something to do doing and done has going for it is it's very minimalist. You're obviously not overdoing it. It's the highest level of abstraction you can have. And it is possible for teams to, to go overboard in the other direction. To do doing and done can also be a good choice if your team is very, very small and your team is responsible for the entire value stream. So this is true of a lot of startups, for example, is you may have uh, one to three people and they're responsible for the whole thing, right? From idea to delivery, it's these two, three, four, five people. They control the whole stream. And at any given time, they're always only working on one thing or two things. So the whole operation is so small that everybody already knows where everything is all the time because quote unquote, everything is like one thing. Right. And, and we're responsible for the whole shebang. So we are the people gathering the requirements. We are the people doing the testing, the QA, the coding, the deployment. We're doing the whole thing. And so having a detailed value stream map when you're that small may or may not be super useful, at least in those kinds of stages. It's sort of like the daily stand up. Right. If you have two people, do you need a daily stand up? I mean, everybody kind of knows what everyone's doing and what you're working on and what you need to do for the day. That can be true of value stream mapping as well. So if your team is fairly small and you're responsible for the whole thing end to end, yeah, sure, to do, doing and done will probably get you most places that you want to go. But here's the thing, mapping out your value stream with more granular detail than to do, doing and done has a lot of benefits. I'm just going to name a few. For one, it allows you to see where your true bottlenecks are in the workflow. The thing about to do, doing, and done is the only column you have that indicates that work is being done is doing. And you don't see any more details than that. You don't know what doing means. Is it testing? Is it gathering requirements? Is it talking to users? Is it development? Is it deploying? You just have no idea, right? So if you have bottlenecks anywhere in your process, you're not going to see them, at least by the way work is flowing across your board. Again, if you're a very small operation, everybody might just know. But if you are an operation of any appreciable size where you have multiple things in progress, maybe you even have different groups of people responsible for different pieces of the value stream, it can be invaluable to be able to see exactly where your bottlenecks are. And in order to see that, you need to see how your items are flowing through more specific stages of work. That may even help you find where your constraint is, which is what you want to improve the most. It doesn't, doesn't help you to say, well, our constraint is doing. That's everyone's constraint is doing, you know, almost always. So it doesn't really tell you where to improve the way that seeing the flow through the different stages will point that out to you. Another thing we can do when we've got our value stream mapped out in stages is we can kind of keep track of how long items sit in areas where they're waiting to be worked on versus areas where they're actively being worked on. With to do, doing, and done, the only waiting queue you have is at the very beginning, it's to do. And the only active column you have is doing. So you can't really measure how long cards are waiting for work, but if you have multiple stages mapped out in your value stream, then you can see things like, hey, the business analyst got requirements done for this user story, but a developer didn't pick it up for four days. That was actually the longest part of the cycle time of this card. So when we think about improvements, maybe we can improve that and figure out why that is. Is, is somebody's whip too high? Somebody pulling in work faster than they're completing it? 
we can have those kinds of conversations because the value stream map is showing us these things and we can measure these things. Whereas if the columns are too general, we're not really getting good information. Another thing is that the value stream can help us to determine aging for a card relative to the state that it's in. So for example, if a card is in doing, the only point of reference I have is how long cards normally hang out in doing when I look at aging. So if cards are normally in the doing column for 13 days, I only really know I'm in trouble when the card has been there for say 10 days or 11 days. I know I'm starting to creep up on that limit. But if I've got cards flowing through a mapped value stream, then I can know, for instance, cards spend about three days in the requirements gathering piece. So if a card starts edging up on three days or maybe even four or five days, then I know that card is potentially in trouble. It's potentially an outlier. I need to pay more attention to it. I just don't get that level of intelligence when I'm looking at just those three columns. It can also provide intelligence to people who are looking at these columns. Again, for a lot of for a lot of operations, it's not the same group of people doing every little thing. It's different groups of people working together. So you may have stakeholders, for example, who are giving you feedback. You may have QA professionals who are doing a very specific QA activity. Perhaps you have people dedicated to gathering and refining the requirements for you, and, and they're doing that while coders are writing code. When you have environments like that, it's really helpful to align everyone to be able to see where all the work is and exactly where it is. It helps us help each other. It provides us a tool for communication and helps us see who really needs help and, and who's getting stuck and, and who's getting backlogged. If everything is just piled into doing, we don't get that intelligence, which again, if you're small, everyone probably knows already, but if you're really any appreciable size at all, like five or more people, those kinds of things tend to get obscured. So having the more specific map is good. It just gives more context to everything. Blocked items, bottlenecks, it just tells you where these things are happening. There is a colleague of mine who recently on LinkedIn, I'm not going to say his name, he listened to the podcast, you know who you are, who recommended that the to-do doing done paradigm is something all Kanban teams should strive to arrive at. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think that's very good advice. I, I don't think that experience will yield advice like that with Kanban. I think it can be a good starting point. And if that's all your team ever needs, great, feel free to stay there. But for most teams, you are just not going to reap all the information you could be getting from your value stream and your workflow mapping if you don't have a more detailed value stream than that. So now we get down to how I like to start out. Now I'm going to be talking at a very high level here. I very rarely work with a team whose board ends up looking exactly like this. There are always stages that don't apply or additional stages that do apply, but I just kind of want to give you a high level of kind of where I start and the reasoning behind it. And then I just sort of adapt from there. So for most teams, there's a backlog. Now the backlog doesn't necessarily have to be the backlog with a capital B, but it's the backlog for that team at bare minimum, right? And this backlog is just kind of the undifferentiated pit of hopes and dreams. It's stuff that people want, and that's where we keep it. You want to keep those backlogs short. If you can get away with not having a backlog, I think that's great. You know, the important things will keep rising to the surface. But most teams do have a backlog, and it's fine. Just keep an eye on it. The bottom third of your backlog, you're probably never doing ever anyway. So you don't want to use it as a repository for every idea anyone has ever had ever. But usually, 
you know, you have customer requests coming in or requests coming in from other teams. You need a place to hold on to those. This is usually followed by what I call a prioritized column or a queued column. This one is the buffer between the chaos of things coming into the backlog and my team actually pulling work onto their plate. So in the backlog, things are changing all the time. Things are coming and going. Priorities are shifting. New stories are being added. Old stories are being taken out. If our backlog is constituted from customer requests, those could be coming in at all kinds of rates, right? We can't control the rate at which customers ask us for stuff. So the backlog can be a pretty chaotic place. The queued column or the prioritized column is my team's buffer between their value stream and the chaos of the backlog. We can put a whip limit on that buffer if we want to. We can put whatever policies around that buffer we want to, but that buffer is showing us the next item or two items or three items or whatever makes sense that are queued up that my team is actually going to start, assuming nothing else changes. Then usually with most teams, there's some activity around analysis of what the card is asking for. Sometimes, it could be a lot of analysis. This, this could be that we just have a user story and it doesn't have acceptance criteria or anything else like that. So this is where we gather those things. Or perhaps the user story already has all of those things. But even in that instance, if a team is pulling on the work, we usually still need to spend a little, a little bit of time analyzing the card before we dive right into to writing our unit tests. We need to figure out, is there any ambiguity here? Is there anything that we've missed? Have we fleshed this out enough that we are ready to actually begin work on it? Or do we still have questions? Are there people we still need to talk to about this card? Do we need to do some high-level design work on this card? So some layer of analysis. That's usually my first set of columns. And I subdivide that into doing and done. Or depending on how you like to do things, I'll shift those sub-columns to the left and I'll have waiting and doing. But doing and done is, is a very common way that people queue that up. And that way I can tell the difference between cards that we are actively analyzing and cards that we have finished analyzing and are now actually waiting for development. The next set of columns is usually development or coding or, or whatever happens there. Again, subdivided into doing and done or shifted one over to the left and subdivided into waiting and doing. Because again, I need to be able to tell the difference between cards that we're actively working on and cards that are ready to be pulled by the next stage of transformation. And we can have all kinds of policies around development. Development doesn't mean just writing code. Development also means, you know, writing our automated tests. It can mean documentation. And that's the important thing about the stages in your value stream is to understand that these stages are not roles and they are not even specific concrete activities. They define a stage of transformation. So in the analysis stage, there's stuff for coders to do. There's stuff for testers to do. In the development phase, there's stuff for business analysts to do. There's stuff for QA to do in the development stage of the value stream. And then oftentimes there's some kind of integration level, quality control, try to break this stuff try to put the word cat in a numerical field and see what happens kind of thing. Traditionally, we've called this QA, but depending on the way you're set up, it could be different. It could be, this could be an automated activity for the most part, or maybe users are doing a lot of UAT at this stage in the game. So you can kind of play around with what you call it or how you subdivide it. You may have 
QA and UAT and an automated testing and deployment process that happens here. You can subdivide it however you want. Again, this, I need to distinguish between the activity and the we're done. It's just the done for testing usually means it's ready for deployment, which is usually my next column. Now, for those of you that have a really slick CD environment set up, so things go straight from a developer's machine into production, if it passes all the checkpoints, having a ready for deployment column may not make any sense. That is totally fine. But for a lot of organizations, just because something is ready for deployment doesn't mean it ends up in production right away. There's usually some amount of batching up of things for deployment, even if deployment is fairly regular. At a lot of organizations, it's not instantaneous. It batches up a little bit. So having a column to capture the fact that we're not actively doing testing quality assurance activities anymore, and this is ready for deployment can be helpful so that we can see what things are ready to go. And we can also start having improvement conversations about how long cards hang out there before they actually end up in production, which is typically my last column, the done column, the production column, the deployed column, whatever you want to call it. That tends to be the end state in my world. Nobody is getting any value until it's in production. So there's not really a point in stopping the value stream prior to that point. Now, does that mean that every team is going to have a chart that looks that way? Backlog, queued, analysis doing done, development doing done, testing doing done, ready for deploy, deploy? No, absolutely not. I'm just saying that, that this is sort of a general starting paradigm. If you're, if you're struggling with how to map your value stream, take a look at that. Does it fit you? If not, what do you need to change? And just change it. Change it to what fits you. But I usually start with some form of this, and then I take stuff out that isn't relevant, rename things that may have a different semantic concept behind them than some of the ones I've used in this podcast. Add stages, maybe, that, that I didn't mention, or subdivide stages in more specific ways if that has value. Most software development process just simply go through something like that so it's easy to tweak. But one last thing I will throw out there is please do not have a blocked column in your value stream. Blocked is not a transformation that cards move through. I hope blocked is not something that all your cards should experience on their way to becoming value. Blocked is a status that your card is blocked or not blocked, but it can be blocked anywhere. And if you make a blocked column, Amongst other issues, as soon as you move a card into the blocked column, you've lost the context for where that card was blocked. Was it blocked while we were coding? Was it blocked while we were getting requirements? Was it blocked while we were testing? Was it blocked for some other reason? We, we don't know. So we remove that context and it really messes up with our metrics as well. If something gets blocked in development, then I want that card to hang out in development. I want that card to hang out for a long time in development. I want us to feel it. I want us to, to see that aging start to creep up in development because the card is blocked. I want to have a sense of urgency around that. If I just pile everything into this blocked column somewhere near the end, we lose that visibility. We lose that context. We lose that information. And honestly, most teams that I see have a special area of the board for blocked items lose that sense of urgency. Hey, it's in blocks. So, you know, we just don't think about it that much anymore. Whereas if it's sitting in your actual column, people think about it because it's it's taking an item out of your whip limit. You see it every single day that you look at the work going on in that column. So don't have a blocked column, have a blocked tag, have a blocked color, 
have a blocked swim lane where you move block items to the top of their column. Do whatever you want to do to increase the visibility of blocked items, but don't have a special column for it. I hope this helps you. Those of you that have been mapping value streams for a long time, this probably sounds like child's play to you and that's fine. But if you've never tried it before or your team has tried it and you've kind of struggled with it, give the basic paradigm I threw out there a try and then work from there. Shape it to fit your own value stream. I hope it helps. Once you've got that value stream up and running and you've got your work mapped to that value stream, I think you'll be surprised at the amount of insights that you get from it. Thanks everyone for listening to Agile Bytes. Agile does sometimes bite, but we don't think it always has to. If you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you happen to be using. And if you can, leave us a comment because we'd love to hear your feedback. What things would you like to hear about? What things did you hear that were valuable to you today? You can also head over to integrityinspired.com to sign up to our email list. But that's all for today, folks. We'll see you next time.